avec euh, avec le Anne Hathaway. Oui, 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 oui. Le, le film autres. qui s'appelait oui. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels il y a alors, alors. il a ah. 20 ans et maintenant non c'est pas c'est pas euh, um, bon si qu'on est vivant c'est une version inférieure guys shut the f up this is unorthodox the universe's leading Jewish podcast I am Mark Oppenheimer joined as ever by my co-hosts tablet deputy editor Stephanie Butnick hello and senior writer at Tablet Magazine Leah Leibowitz 31 days to the Omer but who's counting <laughs> And today, we bring you an interview with James Beard Award-winning chef and restaurateur Edward Lee, and with Judith Viorst, the legendary author of many of your most beloved childhood books, including Alexander and, what was it? The No Good, Very Bad. Horrible Day, which I have to say, I don't think my parents read me children's books. Like, I know some because I'm reading them we to know, my kids. We know, You sat I in think... that one chair. You all shared the chair. No one got children's books. Wait, those are different stories. I like how all my childhood has been fit together. <laughs> like, we only eat friendlies and Pizza Hut. There's one share and no children's books. This to us is your childhood. Okay, what's her new book though? <laughs> but it's like the truth. There are children's books I know because I've read them to my kids. But if I think like, what is a childhood memory of being read to? I don't. I mean, somebody must have, right? But. But we'll get to that later. Anyway, we'll get to that later. Maybe your, um, your session later today. But Judith Viorst has a new memoir called Nearing 90 and Other Comedies of Late Life. And she is terrific. And it's going to be exciting to talk to her. But first, you know what's exciting? Stephanie, what's exciting? We wrote a book. Who wrote a book? The three of us. We did? We did. I a don't know book? if you remember. <laughs> us? <laughs> it's called the Newish Jewish Encyclopedia. And it comes out this fall. It is an A to Z guide of everything Jewish. It has more than a thousand entries covering everything from modern orthodoxy to the marvelous Mrs. Maisel from Kolta Meir to that other Israeli heroine Gal Gadot. There are guides to each of the Jewish holidays. There are explanations on the differences between reform and conservative and orthodox Judaism. And there's also a guide to cursing in Yiddish, Hebrew, Ladino, and other languages. Ladino cursing? Oh, yeah. This may be the first book ever to give us Ladino cursing. Yeah, we sat down and realized we needed to write a book that has everything you could ever want or need to know. If you're Jewish, if you have a friend who's Jewish who needs this book, or if you're, you're just some random Jew-curious person, we want to satisfy your Jew curiosity. This book is full of contributions from great unorthodox guests like Molly Yeh, A.J. Jacobs, Jordan Hoffman, Marjorie Ingle, and many, 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 many more. So many of us suffer from this kind of Jew shaming. Jew embarrassment. Yeah. We're like, oh, you know, I should really know more. Or like, I can't believe that I went to Hebrew school all these years, but I don't really know what's the difference between, you know, Tanis Esther and Som Gedalia. This is a book Or that... even between Rosh Hashanah oh. and Yom Kippur. <laughs> or even between... Or like uh, Simcha Torah and Shemini Yatzeret. Yeah. Or, or Judaism don't... and everything else. But <laughs> yeah. the point is just to Why have... is Barbara Streisand spelled with B... With a no, no additional yeah, A. Yeah. The point is just to have a book that is to books what this podcast is to podcasts. Just very relaxed, very, shall we say, unorthodox. Yeah. And a lot of the questions that we've been asked either by Gentiles or by listeners are in there. Like you can find the answers to questions you have. They yep. are. So the book is out October 1st. You can actually pre-order it now. And we're going to be doing a bunch of fun contests we're and giveaways. We're going to have an Oktoberfest is what Yes, we're going to have an Oktoberfest. Um, it's coming out right in time for the high holidays. And... We're going to be doing some like really fun giveaways for listeners who buy the book and stuff like that. But first, we want to tell you that we're going on a book tour this fall. We'll be doing events all over the country where we talk about the book and take you from A to Z. From Aaron to Zyklon B. Literally, Literally. from Aaron to Zyklon B. That's the scope of this book. So if you want us to come to your local bookstore, synagogue, or JCC, just send us an email at unorthodox at tabletmag.com with the subject line, book tour. Yep. And we'll figure something out. Book yep. tour, book tour, party book time. Tour. Excellent. <laughs> it's the newish Jewish encyclopedia on sale October 1st. Bring us to town. Abraham to Zabar's, Aaron to Zyklon B. It will make you a rabbi in three sittings. It will make <laughs> you a Hasidic master. It will open your world. It will change your life. You need this book. We'll literally crack your skull open, <laughs> fill it with Yiddishkeit, and and sew it back up. Think how proud your mother would be. <laughs> and don't worry, so Ashkenormative is yeah. an entry. <laughs> so much cheaper than day school. <laughs> so that's the number one thing that's going on um, with us. Um, I actually have a, 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 another issue that's pressing that will be familiar to people of this podcast. Uh, something that's not covered in the book. And that is, uh, I have a sneaking into the movies question. 
<laughs> I and this is this ripped straight from the headlines of Oppenheimer life uh, in the uh, 06515. Sunday afternoon, my wonderful five-year-old daughter, uh, Anna, is invited to a birthday party at the Cinemark Cineplex in North Haven. Cinemark Oppenheimer. Cine- <laughs> by the way, when I got Spelt there, with a C. But when I got there, I realized I could have taken the gift certificate to that they gave me at um, a Dot Shalom in Los Angeles. Remember, they gave us yes. each, some, mm-hmm. each a present suited to us, and they gave me a Cinemark gift certificate so that I could. They get literally into- figured out which local, like which was your local place, exactly. So they could get you the right. And thing. I forgot it, so I'm going to bring it next time. But I'm there. I don't have, and so Anna is going with um, with her friend Cora, whose birthday it is, and ten other little little uh, moppets to see Ugly Dolls. But it's a, it's a drop-off party, as they say, which means I can leave for three hours. Like, they're going to have pizza and cake first and then watch Ugly Dolls. I'm supposed to come back uh, three hours later. So I could leave, or I could stay and see a movie myself. And Sid, God bless her, my wonderful wife, had said to me when we were discussing, like, five or six days ago, the plan for the weekend and who's driving where and what's all the coordinating. She said, look, and your job is to get Anna to her movie at Cinemark and then stay and see a movie yourself, because I know you love going to the movies by yourself. And she's like, go, take a movie for yourself. The only thing that's playing, this is actually irrelevant, but the only thing that's playing that meets the time constraints is The Hustle which with uh, with Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson, which I ended up seeing, and it's fine. It is not as good as the movie. It's based on Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, but it's fine. But here's the question. In such a situation where I've already crossed past the little turnstile, so so to speak, to get into the, the area with the movie theaters. To go to, to the, drop Anna off? To drop Anna off in the party room, which is actually next to, it's in the sort of row where all the movie theaters are. Am I allowed to stay and then pop into a different movie? Okay, question. So you just... You didn't have, did you buy a ticket for Anna or like how no, does it work no, for a birthday no, party? No, no, Cora's family bought all the kids tickets. You're like, I'm here for the party and then you both go through. Ex- and they and just wave th- you right through. Exactly. Wow. So they've waved me through. Nothing illegitimate there. Oh Look, my God, I think I just figured something really important out. What's that? Just bring a kid be like, I'm here for the party. I'm here for the party, right. There's a party. There's always a party. And there's yeah. pizza, oh, movie theater pizza. Yeah. Um, I think... I think you're fine because you did a nice, like, you're, it was in service of your daughter having a fun day, this Cora's birthday. I'm actually okay with you then taking a different movie. Yep. Interesting. Here. So, you and to our, this. because You've earned it. family of Cora has, is supporting the local institution, like, I think you're not actually taking anything away from anyone by sitting in a Forget movie. Of course, family. Mark parented. Mark deserves <laughs> He babysat. He babysat, <laughs> he babysat his daughter. He deserves his. For relatively new listeners, we should say that I have sometimes been chided for my belief. You know, some people, they think it's okay to drive 10 miles over the speed limit. My thing is I think it's okay if you see one movie to leave that movie and go into another one, provided you've paid for the first. Maybe listeners have thoughts on this. Unorthodox at tabletmag.com. What's going on with you, Liel? I came back from another kid-related activity. The famed, the famous, the great Heschel camping trip was, for the second grade, was this weekend. Did you chaperone? There ain't no party like a Heschel camping trip party. Because a Heschel camping trip party has a van full of meat. Uh, we grilled like- It was literally a like a shawarma mobile. Literally a food truck. Like, you know, on Shabbat where you cannot grill the meat for like a hot second there, there was a, a cold cut lunch. I'm, I'm, I'm doing air quotes right now because it was like seven pounds of pastrami, seven pounds of corned beef. Like, it was like the most amazing spread you've ever seen. And the kids are basically completely self-sufficient. So what you do is you sit in your little lawn chair uh, and you eat meat and you talk to your buddies. And you get points. They're like, oh, you took your kid camping. That's so sweet. Yeah, you're like, a good dad. Yeah, I ate 17 pounds of steak, <laughs> drank a fifth of bourbon, and saw my kid like twice. <laughs> it was an amazing weekend. Mazel wow. tov. Yeah. Good, good chaperoning work. It is guys, tr- great parenting, both great of you. Great parenting. Happy almost Father's Day. And they're also like, this camping trip, Like, it's amazing because as soon as they get there, they basically turn into like little Israelis. They're like, give me something I could fashion into a weapon. Now give me like, give me a steak. Is there no, Let's edu- go find an enemy. Is there an educational purpose to this trip, or is it just like team building? Fun, fun. Okay, yep. that's great. You do tefillah. The, you, you do a little hike. Little tefillah. Little it's hiking. Amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Stephanie, what's up with you? How was the wedding? It was amazing. It was, it was amazing. So fun. How'd your speech go? My speech went well. Ben and I also did the mozi, which we practiced. We were pretty good at it. Nice. Do you want to give um, us? A, do you want to give us a version? Well, I tried to do the Grandpa Al version, which he did in mine, which is like. Baruch, Asad, Unai. You really need that gravitas. So right. I channeled Grandpa Al. Yeah. That, that Ashkenazi. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah that yeah, flair. Yeah. That's awesome. But it was awesome. amazing, and I'm so happy for you. You want to give us your matron of honor speech, though? Well, or, it started like this Hi, I'm Stephanie. You might remember me from the Mozi. <laughs> Did you really? That's a good line. Um, 
little sad news this week, little news of the Jews. Uh, Herman Woke died, the 103-year-old Herman Woke, author of Marjorie Morningstar, Winds of War, The Cane Mutiny. Has either of you guys, have you read your Herman Woke? Oh, I think all of them. You read all of them? I think basically. Have My dad any? was a huge fan. Really? Have you yeah. read any, Stephanie? No, but I, it's the, one of the things I like feel shame about. Like, I know I'm supposed to have done that. Which is hilarious because only people who work at a Jewish magazine feel they're supposed to have done that because he's so important to American Yiddishkeit. But he actually, one of the points that all the obituaries made was he was so, so derided by the critics. Like, so, they, they he was seen as such middle brow, low, low, right. low, barely middle brow, low brow trash. But of course, he actually writes books that people you know, read. want to read. But funny, funny Oppenheimer Fremer story about Herman Woke. In high school, um, Sid had a, a, an AP U.S. history teacher who just went very methodically and slowly. And he was apparently very good, but he only got them up to about 1905. And then it was time for the AP test in late April or early May. And she ended up getting, I mean, it's Sid, so she got a five. But the, 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 the reason that she new 20th century history. She's like, well, I'd read all of Herman Woke's novels. Like, I knew what she's like. I'll just make this I, up. You know, I knew World War One, World War Two. you know, founding of Israel, like just all Herman Woke. And I, she was very serious about that. By the way, he was one of the interviews that got away. We were trying to get him to talk to us at Tablet. And we thought that when he published a book at age 100, three right. years ago, he'd like say, come we, on our show. And his publicist was like, yeah, Herman's when, just chilling in Palm Springs. He's when not, we started this podcast, <laughs> Herman was 100 years old. <laughs> so. But he was writing and we were always trying to get him. <laughs> Herman and gets a pass. They were always, they always said, you know, Herman's Herman's on the golf course. Like he doesn't have time for. I mean, you guys. I guess today Judith Viores is a, a, a spring chicken at ninety. <laughs> anyway, Herman woke. Um, we will miss you. We will do. We'll do a big read of one of your. I've never read Marjorie Morningstar. Me either. Let's do that. Which is, um, it is. I've been thinking about our summer reading. I'm thinking. I want everyone to read Pete Holmes. Um, I think Marjorie Morningstar is a great tribute. I think Marjorie Morningstar would be great. And then our frequent guest, um, Taffy Brodesser Ackner, has her novel coming out June 1st. I'm thinking so those good. are my three Jewish books for, for the summer, maybe. I mean, Pete Holmes being the most Jewish of the them most, in, of in its ways. What else is going on with News of the Jews? Liel, you want, do you have a Eurovision update for us? Oh, do I have a Eurovision update? Of course I have a Eurovision it update. It happened. Since we last spoke uh, with the J. Crew. Eurovision happened. Eurovision happened. Holland Mazel tov a cemento. The not Belgium. Some of the more dour people. You don't see the Netherlands as really having they, the ability to camp it up they like that. Brought it on North Macedonia was very close <laughs> on their heels with a power ballad, but right. they won Israel twenty three out of twenty six. But hey, you know how did Andorra um, do? Were they they were strong? I don't know that the Andorans. Uh, isn't this that is like, like a literally Star Wars like planet? This is how about like the Monogasts from Monaco? It is um, Monaco. <laughs> it's Monaco. I would have done this. They uh, so the, here here like a couple of important takeaways. First of all, Israel threw an amazing party. Second of all, to make up for that horrible video we discussed last week, um, they made another video. <laughs> And this one is Gal Gadot riding in a cab in Tel Aviv, showcasing the beauties of the city. But at some point, she's like, and you really have to know people here are very direct. And then the cab driver turns to her and be like, eh, Superman and Batman made more money than you, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> it's like so incredible. But the most incredible thing, I mean, there was Madonna putting on her Moshe Dayan costume with like an eye patch and like a lot of nonsense. Actually? Yeah, yeah, no, no, uh, for real. Wow. This is, we're not making stuff up now. Uh, but the most amazing thing, there was a band from Iceland. Um, I cannot even By the begin. Way, I don't like Bjork, and by extension, I don't like Icelandic music. And I'm just going to put that out there, just I, so the haters can hate on me. I love Bjork. I love Iceland. I love everything about this tiny little strange country. However, these individuals arrive. They are... A unique combination uh, of of humans who support both BDS, which is the practice of you know boycotting Israel for ideological reasons, and BDSM, which is the practice of you know sexual you know fetish sadomasochistic uh, they submission domination. Half they performed half naked, wearing what really I could only describe as like very elaborate tefillin, uh, and <laughs> like they also, bondage tefillin. Yes, bondage tefillin, but it's like literally around their arms, right, and like head. And, and they have like weird masks and they've had some plastic surgery done to look like like non-gendered alien stuff. <laughs> and they their big thing, their big protest was like, oh, here, we're going to wave a Palestinian flag during the intermission. Now, here's how badass Israelis are. They did this little shtick. They felt so good about themselves. <laughs> and then they get on their flight and the you know, flight attendant tweeted like, Ha, huh, the Icelandic, you know, protest band is on our flight. Guess which seats they got. The El Al crew went and made sure that they're all having separate, not seating together, separate 
middle seats, like the shittiest <laughs> seats on the plane, and then tweeted about it. Like, you do not fuck with us. We'll give you middle seats. You know, you like giving... You're sitting 36J, and it doesn't recline. And your computer, like the little screen is broken. And, and you by get the way, a kosher meal, yeah, bitch. Exactly. And you get the glot kosher meal. But I'm very proud of, of my people this, this week. Anything to top that, Stephanie? I'm proud of my people, too. Um, Scarlett Johansson, ScarJo, our girl, um, is engaged to... A piece of white bread. A piece of white bread, um, Saturday made, Night Live writer, Saturday Night Live writer, and Weekend Update host Colin Jost. The host, Jost. Jost, the host. Um, they're engaged. They've been dating for a while. Um, it's like one of those examples of like a nerdy, like funny guy getting like getting the girl, getting the girl. But I thought if you were like a, a hot actress or entertainer, you had to marry Pete Davidson. No, no, no it's very exciting. That's or a basketball who is player. Not Pete Davidson has like a celebrity girlfriend who he actually. Didn't need to talk about all the time, which was very funny. Who's Pete Davidson? Mark. Who is he? Stop. No, really, who is he? Stop it. <laughs> Pete Wentz is a rock star. Who's Pete uh, Davidson? Pete Wentz is not a rock star. star. <laughs> Isn't he? <laughs> when Bush was president. What was he's where he's fallout boy, but I wouldn't call it. Whatever. Okay, who's Pete, Pete Davidson? Da- oh, my God. Wow, Mark. Okay, so Pete Davidson is one of the Saturday Night Live cast members. Okay. Um, he dated and became engaged to Ariana Grande over the last summer. Who's Ariana? No, I know who Ariana is. Because <laughs> Ellie listens to um, Ariana Grande. Everyone write in and make fun of Mark. All right. We got some live shows to talk about. Hollis Hills, Queens, May 29th. Leon Nafach of the podcast Slow Burn and an upcoming podcast called Fiasco will be the Jew of the Week, the Jotwa. And the Gentile of the Week, the Gotwa, will be Claire Malone of the 538 Politics Podcast. If you want to come see us in Queens, and why not come see us in Queens? Why not fly into JFK or LaGuardia, hop an Uber, come see us, and then fly home we'll to wherever you, you Yeah, we will pick you in up. The greatest, and I mean that, of New York City's bars. We will be running a party Flipping bus Queens, man. from the airports to our show. Go to bit.ly slash Queens. That's bit.ly slash Queens. Pick up some tickets. Party with us May 29th. Shavuos and Hollis. That's right. As they say. Uh, June 26th, we will be in the second city, Chi-Town, Chicago. Blair Braverman, the dog-mushing Jewess from the Iditarod Dog Sled Race, will be our Jew of the week. We'll be in Chicago June 26th. Please come see us. For tickets and information, go to bit.ly slash unorthodoxchicago. That's bit.ly slash unorthodoxchicago. We want to see you in Chicago on the 26th. May 30th, I will be hosting Hebrew College's Storytelling Gala. Go to hebrewcollege.edu for more information and for tickets. And still time to come learn with me at Thread at Yale. Catherine Burns from The Moth will be there. Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. James Hamblin from The Atlantic. Sarah Stillman from The New Yorker. Steve Brodner, the caricaturist from The Nation. Lots of people. Thread.yale.edu. That's June 10th, 11th, and 12th. Hang with me. Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamou, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Judith Fjorst has written many, many books, including a lot of books for children, um, like Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Her new poetry collection is Nearing 90 and Other Comedies of Late Life. Welcome, Judith. Hello. It's so nice to be chatting with you. Well, I'm delighted to be with you. Judith, this is very special for me because I don't know if you remember, but uh, in 2005, you reviewed my book about bar and bat mitzvahs for the Washington Post. Oh, yeah. Well, I, re- I, I don't remember your name, but I certainly remember the book. Yes, indeed. And it was a lovely review. It was, uh, you know, I was I was on tenterhooks. Will people like this book? I put a couple years of my life into it. Will it get reviewed anywhere? And then the Washington Post, one of the country's great newspapers, comes out with this review by an author who, of course practically taught me to read on her children's books <laughs> and you called it thoughtful and respectful and uh you, you you just had all these 
all these things that we could grab off it and put on the back of the paperback copy, which never came because not enough people bought the book. But <laughs> well, honestly, outrageous. You, your review was really one of the highlights. So it's 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 an honor to, to talk to you today. Thanks for your part in my past. <laughs> That's a very sweet coincidence. Thank you. You're welcome. So, Judith, you've written a book about nearly every decade of your life. Uh, there was forever 50, suddenly 60. And I'm curious, in nearing 90, what what makes this latest decade different? from all other decades? <laughs> well, uh, <clears throat> we're getting close to the end. I mean, when I, when I started out with it's hard to be hip over 30, life seemed eternal. It doesn't seem quite eternal as I near 90. So there's, uh, there are more um, poems about legacies and uh, uh, knee replacements and um, Though I like to write humorous verse, uh, the laughs are a little bit more of a challenge in, um, in, in the later decades. Do you want to read any of the poems for us? Do you have a copy of the book handy? I do. I'd love to read a poem. I would love that. Would you do that for us? Sure. In fact, as long as I mentioned uh, Legacy, I think <clears throat> that was the last poem in my book, and, um, and that will cover a lot of territory. Since it's looking as if my legacy isn't shaping up to be peace on earth and universal health care, here's what I'm hoping to be remembered for. Showing up when I say I'm showing up. Sticking with what I've started until it's done. Sending valentines to all the children in our family until they reach the age of 21 and never, ever leaving the house without eyeliner. Playing a relentless game of Scrabble. Keeping the secrets I promised I would keep. Being able to laugh about the bad things that happened to me, though not before I first whine and weep and rail against my fate and blame my husband. Doing work I'm able to be proud of, making a truly transcendent matzo ball. Coming to terms with mortality, though to be perfectly honest, I'm still not feeling all that thrilled about dying. Coming to terms with not feeling thrilled about dying. Watching over the people that I love, Grateful they're watching over me as well. Enjoying whatever there is to enjoy until that final time's up closing bell and hoping, just a reminder, that I'll be remembered. I'm so curious because we don't often read about mortality in this in this open and honest and also very kind of funny way. I mean, was this was this a difficult book to write? Um, I, I think it was a challenging book to write. Uh, my, my publisher, lovely publisher, who is my kid's age, um, said they wanted me to write a book he'd give to his parents or my age. And he was hoping that, you know, it wasn't going to depress the living hell out of him. He didn't say it th that way. But, you know, the concern was, is this all going to be, is this all going to be uh, doctor's appointments and moaning and complaining? <laughs> And uh, I, I did throw I did throw out a lot of, of poems. I had one about doctors and ailments that went on so long it would have occupied the whole book. So <laughs> um, I, 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 I did some editing, but you know, in, in order to talk about, I mean, I you know, this this uh, the subtitle of this is other comedies of late life. My first decade book, which was about being in my thirties, was tragedies. Um, so I've developed something of a sense of humor over the decades. I'm 42, and sometimes when I see certain developments, some technological, some cultural, I think to myself, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad it's half over. I really don't want to stick around for that much longer to see how far uh, more we have to go into complete degradation. Do you feel like that sometimes? What are the things that you view about culture right now? that you make you say to yourself, like, uh, I, I can't handle this. This is a step too far. Well, the, the whole world of technology absolutely overwhelms me. And, um, you know, when people say, I'll come over and I'll teach you something, I say, I would rather use my brain to memorize poetry. That's what I'm doing in my old age. I'm memorizing. I've memorized parts or wholes of 55 poems, and it makes me much happier than knowing how to do something with an attachment that 
That's probably shouldn't incredible. even be done. So I went through a period where I was memorizing a lot of poems. It was about 10 or 12 years ago before I had kids. I've forgotten them all. What are some of the I'm curious. What are you memorizing? What are some of the poems that you're so happy to have oh, in your brain? Oh, everything. I mean, old and new. I, I, I memorize Yeats and I memorize Eliot and... Um, Gerard Manley Hopkins and Billy Collins and E.E. E. Cummings, of, uh, some Shakespeare. And the way you don't forget them, I'll give you a little advice, is, to, is, is you have to drill. You memorize them and you <clears throat> own them, but only for a little while. And you just have to drill. And uh, on, on, at regular intervals, maybe once a month, you go through all of your, uh, your poetry and you, and you recite it to yourself. The important thing is, and if you want to keep your relationships with your friends, is don't impose your memorized poetry <laughs> on them. They will not love you for it. So, Judith, you write a lot in here about your husband, Milton, and it's a lot of it is very sweet, but it's also like honest and open about the sort of challenges of being married. You guys got married in, I believe, 1960. Right. And, and Almost 60 years. And there's one great, great poem. It's called A Warning a warning, or Maybe a Love Song for My Husband. And the a line that gets repeated is, don't you dare die before me. Right. I feel very strongly about that. I'm not, I'm not even kidding. <laughs> and I'm so curious how your writing about him has changed over the years, because I know you've sort of always been open about what it's like to be in a very long marriage. Well, I have always been very clear that um, being, being married is this combination of dumb luck and hard work. I mean, you have no idea when you get married that this is the person you're going to still like 5, 10, 50 years from now or that you're not going to change in ways that are irreconcilable. And, um, you know, and if you aren't a perfect match to begin with, then you have to put in a lot of hard work if you want to preserve a marriage. And we're two very, very bossy people with opinions on everything. I practically had a heart attack when I got married and discovered he even had an opinion on what color the refrigerator should be. That was my department. What was he doing <laughs> having an opinion about the refrigerator? Um, but I, I, th I think, I think the main quality that has not changed in my writing about uh, marriage is, and about my family too, and the way I, reason I get away with a lot is the person I make the most fun of in my poetry is me. I'm not, I'm not sitting in some superior place looking down at these foolish mortals with all their failures and flaws, while perfect me is just carrying on magnificently. You know, if I say my husband's a pain in the ass, I'm a pain in the ass, too, and that's very clear. <laughs> Judith Forrest, thank you so much for being on our show. We love the book. It's called Nearing 90 and Other Comedies of Late Life. And listen, we really need a... Uh... I don't know what the alliteration is, but but a hundred book would be nice. Pushing a hundred, yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Pushing a hundred, not up daisies. Uh. Uh, if <laughs> I like that. If we're still podcasting in ten years, we insist that you have a book for us. Okay. Okay, we have a date. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye bye. It is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Browse and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. 
We also have some great events coming up for tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Charbar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag uomember and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. To the mailbox. Uh, you may, first of all, we got a nice note from Mimi Eisenberger, uh, our listener in Vienna, who said, You may be pleased to know that the unorthodox. Mimi Eisenhower? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, I love your show. <laughs> I'm still alive, living in Vienna. I'm listening to unorthodox from the great beyond. <laughs> Ike loves it too. <laughs> Truman is not a fan. <laughs> Mimi Eisenberg, Mimi, Mimi Eisenhower, Eisenberger in Vienna. Uh, <laughs> that was the first Mimi Eisenhower joke made on an American podcast ever. Ever. Seven, 70 wants to know who Mimi Eisenhower is, right? Uh, she was in okay. Saturday Night Live. This she is was what I'm going to tell you what Mimi Eisenberger says. You may be pleased to know that the Unorthodox podcast was recommended in the April edition of the magazine of the Austrian Jewish community, WINA, alongside Two Nice Jewish Boys and other mostly German Jewish themed podcasts. All right. All the best from Vienna, Mimi Eisenberger. I don't know how the, how the <laughs> phrase mostly German Jewish themed podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hi, J. Crew. Uh, my name is Grace, and I have a scenario sort. Um, I go to a local community college, and I met a person, a really nice guy, who goes to the local Chabad, and he wanted to know my Jewish name, so I told him, and ever since then, uh, he's been calling me by it, and I don't know whether to be flattered or to be creeped out or... I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you. Okay, so here's the thing. Can I say, this may be the favorite note that we I ever got. So the Chabad, local Chabad guy said, what's your Jewish name? She what? said, uh, it's Devora or Esti or whatever. And now when he sees her, instead of calling On her- On campus, yeah. He calls her by her, her Hebrew no, name. That's, that's his little so, erotic Yeah, treat. I mean, this to me seems like he's hitting on her. Like he's he's trying to sort of flirt a little bit and be make it, have established a connection with you. It's like, hey, I think, hey, Chava, uh, yeah. why don't you go back to my shtibel and drink a little bit? It's actually Chava Rachel yeah. is my name. Um, you gotta hey, go back. Chava Rachel. But like, I think he's trying wanna to sort of be a little love? cute and, and have this connection with you. I think you can say just like, please don't call. I mean, if, if it makes you uncomfortable, you can say stop. I think you could also recognize it as like he's trying to sort of probably fl- be sweet and flirt with you. And like if you it's clearly not working. OK, so I disagree. What? I have had the experience of. Uh, Lubavitcher specifically saying what's your Hebrew name I wasn't given one but when I need one I go with my grandfather's which was Chaim uh, just because sort of in honor of you my, are Chaim. my grandfather Walter I, I support that and um, uh, and I've had the experience of Lubavitcher's thereafter being like Chaim what's up and I don't think they're flirting with me I think it's a way I mean, of they like, might be. it's one they I may mean, be. Mark, come on. They may be. With that hair. But I think I think it's something that they do to say, like, you know, we, we deal on, on Yiddish time here, like we or Jewish time. Like we deal I, I think it's I think it's um a Kiruv thing, a re, an outreach thing that they do. And I think that it could she's be both. She's it could be, but I think I don't but I think there's I'm I bet our listeners will concur that it happens in non sexual ways uh, all the time and that we should presume it's not. I mean the bottom line is if she doesn't like it, she should say, Don't call me that. Yeah, but I, mean, I think she should her she began by saying, Should I be flattered or creeped out? The simple the easier answer is closer to flattered than creeped out, but you're still allowed to opt out. Here's Correct. the thing, I actually don't like that. I have an English name. This is like I I, I think there's an, there's a presumption there that actually my my Hebrew name is better. Like I What is your Hebrew if, name? 
Chavarachel. Chavarachel. Or as I was in my Yiddish class, Chavafir, because there were four. I was the fourth right, Chava right. in the class. But you know, it's funny. There's the like the diamond guy that that. Ben got my engagement ring from um, who Cliff, my brother-in-law, had used. And Cliff was like, by the way, you have to use your Hebrew name with him. So Cliff, he's like, oh, you know Chaim, because Cliff is Chaim. And so Ben had to be like, I'm Ben Zion. <laughs> I know I know Chaim. And I'm like, what the hell is going on here? That you have to like- I love it, it. Wait, but let's go a little it's deeper like a, it's, like a, it's like a skull and bones. It, like, no, no, yeah, like, like that's oh, the thing. Hey, and, obvi- and so I think, but I think if someone was just to call me Chava, I'd be like, Okay, I have uh, that's that's like a realm in which I don't really identify with because I'm I'm Stephanie but Stefani, if you want to, you know. First of all, this is nasty. one of the best. This is one of the voice best voice yes, we've ever gotten. Absolutely, uh, absolutely great question. Just I'll speak personally here, right? Like, sure, I'm Mark. There's no part of me that I'm like if someone yells Chaim on the street, I, <laughs> you're I don't, not I'm turning like, around. What? Well, I don't you turn assume around. Like, they're talking to Cliff. I'm Mark. <laughs> right? I, you know, uh, to friends from high school, I'm Oppie. Uh, you know, there's a few things that I took my kids. I'm dad uh, to sit. I'm Mio, which my my initials M E O. Like, there's things I answer to. Wow, there that was, was no... very intimate. I didn't yeah, know did that. You, you didn't know that. I start emails to you, M E O, so um, now I know that. Yeah, and um, and there's no part of me that that answers to a Hebrew name. That said, like, it's so obviously meant whether it's affection or like, hey, this is my outreach shtick, which I think is fun. Like, there's no part of me that's bothered by people giving me non-offensive nicknames or like or like personal name like why would i be bothered it's just one of those things in life where like it can only be it can only be a nice and affectionate thing and to be bothered by it it speaks to some i will say it i think it it's like the part of you that doesn't want a mezuzah on your door it's like don't jew me in public no 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 no. it's the part of me that was more uncomfortable during the chabad episode than you guys were like we we talked all about that like this idea that like you are asserting something about me you're 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 calling me by this name call me by my name call me by chaim's name but let me try this on for i don't think my discomfort about being Jewish, it's just like I am reading into it a kind of like this is who we want you to be. What they're asserting is I, th- I think you're right, but I think what they're asserting is nothing more or less than you are a Jew. And in our interactions with you, we will remind like it will always be foregrounded that we are two Jews talking. And yeah, I think that's, that's fine. But and, as you are. Yeah, but I think if I got. As you're frequently uncomfortable with. No. Guys, I have a mezuzah on my door. It was there when I got there. It's really ugly, and I have all these other mezuzahs that people have sent me, and I don't know what to do because I need someone to take the mezuzah down because I don't know how to like really. I mean, you're so uncomfortable that you chose to work for a Jewish publication. No, yeah, so deeply. Yeah, what, what do you think? No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I find it really charming. But you I have think, a look, Hebrew name, so it's hard. That's for you right. To... My name is Leah Lebo. It's barely even a Hebrew name. <laughs> it's on. like a cobbled together sci-fi fantasy it's like, name. It's a Kabbalah <laughs> fantasy, it's right? A, it's Jor-El. Uh, it's look, a Superman name. I agree with you. If she's uncomfortable, that you should just be like, "Hey, dude, listen. You know, it's it's Bethany." But it's like, but to me, this is like a guy called, like, awesome I, I, I'm, I'm seeing in this, like, oh, a guy is, like, women operate in the world on so, with so many things being put on them, and now there's, like, a guy calling her by a name that's not, how, like, it's just a lot of, it's just it's a, a lot, lot and on. you guys maybe don't understand all, like, what, what I'm we reading might. into with the subtext of, of these interactions. I could definitely see that also, that, like, male to female, it's a little bit like, hey, babe, I'm giving yeah, you, like, like, hey, yeah. schnooky, yeah. hey, shwee shwee. Yeah. <laughs> hey, hon. Shwee shwee is her Hebrew name. Shwee shwee is her name. Gentile of the week is Edward Lee. He's the chef owner of several restaurants in Louisville, Kentucky, and just won the James Beard Award for his book, Buttermilk Graffiti, a memoir of his culinary journey across the United States. Hi, Edward. Hi, all. How are you? We are good. We are very happy to have you here. I will say your book is, is one of those very, very, very rare books that I finished and saying, you know, fuck, I wish I could be friends with that guy. It's amazing. awesome. Thank you. (laughs) So you basically drop into a bunch of different communities, a lot of them immigrant communities throughout the United States. And I'd love for you to just start off by explaining what happened to you when you went to Dearborn. Yeah. So, um, you know, the idea was um, to go into these, uh, um, you know, food communities, um, you know, most of them ethnic, to sort of do a deeper dive into um, just how they live how the food and, and the culture and the way of life there is all sort of intertwined. And um, one of the stops was uh, in Dearborn, Michigan, which is uh, home to uh, the largest Muslim population in the country. And um, 
I didn't real I hadn't fully done my research, and I realized that when I went uh, to Dearborn, it was during Ramadan, so everyone was fasting, uh, which is not exactly the perfect <laughs> week to, uh, to do a food story. Um, and and obviously, you know, it's a it's a holy week. People were not really, uh, uh, you know, they were preoccupied. They weren't really, you know, looking to talk to someone about food. And um, uh, something happens, and, and you can read it in the book. And, and I have this sort of uh, epiphany, I guess, where I decide that uh, I'm going to participate in the fast. And um, mind you, I've never fasted before in my entire life, and I'm a chef. So needless to say, it, it was a tough experience. But in that experience, something happened where I was able to connect with uh, the locals. And um, I, you know, I go to this restaurant, I order food, and, and I didn't eat it, and, and I just took pictures of it. And the lady asked me why uh, I wasn't eating the food, and I said, well, I'm, I'm uh, you know, observing Ramadan. And she said, uh, she said, well, you're not Muslim, though. I said, no, I'm not Muslim, but I'm here to write about the food. And I figured the only way to really understand the food is to respect the culture. And uh, in, in that moment, everything changed, and, uh, and her demeanor was more friendly. She uh, all, all of a sudden introduced me to her husband, who knew a lot, you know, and then I got introduced to a mosque, and I got introduced to other people. And I realized that, that, that there is a way that, that, and what I do is not food journalism, uh, but I think there's a way that we talk about other people's cultures. Uh, and, and a lot of it starts with just respecting the culture and respecting their rules their religions um and, and and then we can talk about the food and that's so amazing because usually if you like befriend a chef they'll like bring you out a free dessert or something in this case is like i will honor you by not bringing you a dessert yes exactly <laughs> exactly so you are the child of korean immigrants who grew up you grew up in brooklyn and you end up in louisville kentucky can you yes. explain that how you got there yeah, I mean, it's a long, long story, but um, I basically spent my whole life in New York, um, never really left, and then uh, opened up a restaurant when I was 25 in, in downtown, and uh, 9-11 happened, and, and when 9-11 happened, it kind of, um, you know, my, I lost my business, and I lost a friend who was in the towers, you know, I, a lot of things got shaken up, and um, I just decided that I had to leave New York for a while and I took some road trips around the country and uh, just by chance ended up in Louisville, Kentucky during the Derby. And um, if for any of your listeners who has not been to the Kentucky Derby, it's uh, a lot of bourbon, uh, a lot of food, um, a lot of, you know, pretty ladies in, in pretty dresses. So um, three things that I really enjoy. And um, it just kind of, I don't know, there was something about it that really just uh, moved me. And uh, I thought, oh, this is the kind of place I could stay. Uh, and then the, the gentleman that I worked for at the time uh, was retiring and he asked me to take over his restaurant. Um, so I thought, well, I have nothing else going on right now. Why not? I'll, I'll do it. And if I don't like it, I can always go back to New York. So I signed a six-month contract and that was uh, now 17 years ago and, and I'm still there. Now, Edward Lee, author of Buttermilk Graffiti, you write something in this book that's quite disturbing to us. Shocking, uh, even. Yes. could get you banned from many yeah. Jewish media platforms. Yeah. You, you write that the best kosher uh, <laughs> deli in the country is to be found in, uh, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Leo, what, what's it called again? It's Indianapolis, I believe. Indiana, yes. Indian, this, this, this Indianola, very, Indiana? This very foreign city call Indianapolis. What is this restaurant and why is it in Indiana and how can we explain the world? Um, it's an incredible Jewish deli called Shapiro's. Uh, it's been there for over 100 years. It's got an incredible history. Um, the food is outstanding. But it, it, there's something different about it, you know, versus the, the LA and the New York delis, um, which even though they exist in, in their realm, um, they've been touched by modernism they've been um influenced by their you know gentrification by by you know both both cities are very global and, and international and and very uh, contemporary and when you go to a place like shapiro's the history is still there and it's almost as if they've lived in a bubble for the last 80 to 100 years and there's still something really palpable about it um, it's not just a set of vintage pictures on the wall. 
Um, I mean, there are people who dine there, whose parents have dined there, whose grandparents have dined there, who have stories about having their their you know wedding party there. There are sometimes places where culture survives um, because there's a necessity to it. And there's a lot of people in that community who rely on Shapiro's to be there because of its historical importance. Uh, and you can say that about the other delis and everywhere in, in New York and L.A., but, um, you know, there's something about New York where, where, where you know, even Katz's and, and, and Russ and Daughters, um, they get kind of lost or they get, 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 they get caught up um, in, in sort of the, the modernization of the neighborhood that they're around. And, and Shapiro's is in a terrible neighborhood. I mean, there's nothing there. <laughs> now, the question of what is, you know, the best kind of deli mm-hmm. also gets very political with, with us. And this one, Shapiro's, for example, um, I have read is kosher style, but not actually kosher. Mm-hmm. Um, and this goes to your this goes to your question for us because yes. every Gentile of the week has yes. the opportunity to ask us a question about about kashrut or kosher law. Yes. So what was the question that you wanted to bring to us? So the question I had was, um, and and you know I get different versions of answers depending on who I ask. Uh, you know why why pork is forbidden, uh, and and a lot of times the, the answers I get is that well it's it's you know uncleanly. And my question was, you know, with, with modern advances in modern agriculture and farming and the whole organic movement, would there ever be a revisiting of that rule um, to, to look at some of it and to say that, oh, you know, we can now incorporate pork into the diet? So essentially, kosher law isn't about animals not being unclean. It's about mm-hmm. um, the fact that pork and shellfish are, are not permitted items, right? Like, so for animals to be kosher, they need to have split hooves, this is according to mm-hmm. the Bible, and, and to chew its cud. And so pork fundamentally, you know, and for fish, there has to be fins and scales. So it's actually mm. less about how the animal is prepared or all this, all you know, something that all these modern um, advancements could change. It's like about the animal, ascent, it's, its essence, basically, mm-hmm, being mm-hmm. impure. And the rabbis in their wisdom knew that pork was also just too delicious, and we can't really handle the deliciousness. But if we were permitted this... <laughs> we, we don't deserve we things that would just go crazy. Yeah, as, as I did before I went kosher, we would eat this six times a day, which is really not good for you. I'll tell you a funny story. In the, the, in the American South, which is where I live and I, I do a lot of my traveling... Um, it's the only place in the world that I have uh, come across many, many Jews who say, "Listen, I'm kosher. I don't eat pork, except for bacon. I just make I make one excuse for bacon." <laughs> and I've heard this pork. many well, times, except for bacon, ribs, yeah. ham, Canadian <laughs> right. bacon, pork ham, chops, pork chops, <laughs> and anything that's in Chinese food where I can't exactly. tell that it's pork because it's smothered in a sauce. I mean, look, you, 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 you very profoundly get right to the heart of a big question within Judaism because the reform movement, one of their signature innovations, uh, if you will, is that they said these laws don't make sense in contemporary society and mm-hmm. we're going to um, and we're going to eat treif. We're going to eat non-kosher food. So, you know, there's long for hundreds of years there's been a recognition that there's no actual scientific basis. I mean, it, yes, once upon a time, 500 or 1,000 years ago, you you might have thought, well, you know, the pigs play in the dirt, therefore they're unclean. And that could have been part of what was going on when, when the Torah was written. Mm-hmm. But for people who still keep those laws, it's not because they're under any illusion that it's uh, a cleanliness matter. It's gotcha. because that's what the book says. Yeah. And so they're keeping to, you know, as, as Stephanie says, like, the rules are not actually about cleanliness. They're about a particular kinds of animals, and those aren't negotiable. Interesting. So, yeah. um, but it's Shapiro's is kosher style, mm-hmm. um, which basically means um, that it probably means the meat they serve is kosher, but they're also serving dairy products in the building. Yeah. So yeah. They, they an open on Saturdays, no, probably. Yeah. yeah. So no actual Orthodox Jew or 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 Jew who keeps kosher would eat there, but it has the feel. Of kashrut for people who want the old timey religion, right? Gotcha, gotcha. But the chop liver I'm sure there's stuff that's like is, Korean is, style, is, <laughs> right? Uh, it's pretty, pretty damn good. And and you would know because you wrote the chop liver <laughs> entry for our hundred most oh, Jewish right. foods yeah, book, yeah, 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 which is is great. Edward Lee, thank you so much. Buttermilk graffiti: A Chef's Journey to Discover America's New Melting Pot Cuisine is newly a James Beard Award winning book, and we're so excited to chat with you. Thank you, thank you for having. Thank me. Thank you. 
Mazel tovs. Mazel tovs. And Simon tovs. I want to start with a mazel tov for Dr. Rachel Rosenthal, PhD. She's going to get the before and after the name. Dr. Rachel Rosenthal, PhD. Sometimes known as Mrs. Yair Rosenberg of Tablet Magazine. Actually, I think Yair is known as Mr. Mr. Known as Mr. Mr. Dr. Mr. Dr. Rachel Rosenthal. She is receiving her PhD in Talmud from the Jewish Theological Seminary. Today, Thursday, the day this is airing, we are here on Tuesday, but as you hear this, she's about to walk, and she will be addressing all the graduates at that ceremony. So Dr. Rachel Rosenthal, PhD, Mazel Tov to you. And because it's a PhD in Talmud, as soon as she delivers her speech, someone else is going to come on and With say, well, she's wrong. That's right. Make a commentary. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Stephanie. I have a mazel tov to Shira Borzak and Alex Eidman on their upcoming wedding this weekend. And also a shout out to their matchmaker, Jordana Bernstein, who set up her best friend from high school with her husband's best friend from high school. Oh, that's interesting. If I set up my best friend from high school with Sid's best friend from high school. Oh, my God. I mean, it's basically I, like uh, it's kind of how think. like your porn star name is like the street you grew up. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that would be like. John Heffernan, who went on to write Snakes on a Plane, uh, who was, I will just pick him among my clothes. I didn't really have a best friend from high school. With Sid's best friend from high school, Casey Jarin. Yeah, I, I think they're both single. We should we should do that. Oh my god! I think we should do that. I think you have on the and show. this involves everyone calling their best friend from high school and being like, "Hey, totally." So it's been a while, but yeah, but I have, but I'm married now, and my spouse has a best friend from high school. <laughs> Leo, what you got? I have two two Mazel Tovs. Uh, to two great heroes of the Jewish people. The first is my beloved, my hero, can I say that? My hero, Howard Stern, who has an amazing, amazing new book this week out. Howard Stern comes again. Um, a very candid and touching and, and glorious book of interviews with famous people who do not come off as jerks. But my second Mazel Tov uh, is to someone who is so young and so impressive. I, I want to give a very... Very special mazel tov to the incredible 11-year-old girl in Tennessee who last week did a very brave thing. She stood up to kids and the administration in her school when a teacher assigned a project that involved, for some reason, giving a Nazi salute. After the project ended, the salutes continued. And this incredible, brave, kick-ass young girl who is not Jewish was having none of it. She stood up to both her fellow students and to the teachers and administrators of her stupid school. So kudos to you. We also heard you're a Harry Potter fan. So sent you a little care package, a couple of books, the uh, Harry Potter Haggadah and Harry Potter Book of Esther. And we want to really thank you for sticking up for what's right. Rock on. As they say in Hebrew, shalkoach. Unorthodox brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Send thoughts to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Get our newsletter at bit.ly slash unorthodox podcast. Leave us voicemails at 914-570-4869. I repeat, 914-570-4869. Put it on speed dial. We often come to you live to book us or advertise with us. Email producer Josh Cross at jcross, that's with a K, at tabletmag.com. Follow us on Instagram at Unorthodox Podcast, on Twitter at unorthodox underscore pod. Join our Facebook group along with thousands of other enlightened and stimulated Facebook groupies. Our show is produced by Josh Cross. Our associate producers are Sarah Fredman-Ader and Noah Levinson. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Our social media meshkiach is Elazar Abram. Our theme music is by Golem online at golemrocks.com. Our mailbox theme is by Steve Barton. Rabbinic supervision by Haniel Levinson, who officiated at the wedding of Sarah Cohen and David Silver. And we come to you from Argo Studios, which is so bitter that Sarah Cohen and David Silver are off the market now. Shalom, friends. <laughs>